Welcome back to UAR Caucus, the podcast hosted by Kate Clunt. That's me. I'm the Government Affairs Director at the Utah Association of Realtors. And with me here is Alyssa Daly, Campaign Services Director. And this time we are covering our November interim committee meetings. So just as a refresh, interim happens usually about once a month. The interim committees that meet are a mix-up of representatives and senators. They hear a bunch of stuff, sometimes their ideas, sometimes their reports, and sometimes it's draft legislation that's ready for the session. So we're going to cover all sorts of stuff today. Kate, tell us what happened uh, with the Water Development Commission. Yes. So the Legislative Water Development Commission is technically not an interim committee. You are right if you are thinking a commission. That is not what they said they were talking about. But it happens to meet on one of the interim days before we have these meetings on Wednesday. Part of that is because lots of people kind of come in to report to the legislature and they want to make it easy for everybody to come from all over. And, you know, they just like to give you a fire hose of information. Why spread it out when you can just pack it all in to two days? A few of the things that they talked about that I think are worth noting. The first is ARPA one-time funds. And if you are not familiar with ARPA, um, it is not the noise that a seal makes, but it is the American Rescue Plan Act, which um, also lovingly referred to as Biden bucks. So this is some of the COVID relief money that the state received and it's one-time funds. So it's not ongoing and they're looking for projects that are only going to cost money one time because it's not stuff that we get to keep spending over and over and over again. So we're talking about grants and we're talking about cost sharing projects. A couple of the projects that they recommend spending these one-time funds on are secondary water metering. So this will help us save water in the future if we choose to prioritize a project like this. It can be really cost prohibitive to go back and install meters. It's a little easier with new builds, but they're hoping that something like this would encourage more people to do it. And there's a lot of really interesting science about how if you see how much water you're using, then you actually use less water because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a monster. I don't think my neighbor would fall into that category. (laughs) I think you'd be like, I think I can use more. I see that and I'm going to raise you an even larger water bill. His grass looks amazing. (laughs) The next project is drinking water infrastructure. So in a lot of our smaller or rural towns, our infrastructure is aging and it can be really difficult and time consuming and costly to fix that. And so our drinking water infrastructure in particular could use some significant investment. And then lastly, one of the things that they are suggesting that we do with this money is agricultural optimization. I dare you to say that five times fast, but it is it means using less water for a similar or better crop yield. And that's just using new farming techniques to make the most of the water that we have for agriculture use. This is not definitely what they're gonna use. It is what they have suggested that the state use this money for, but you will see during the budgeting process of the legislative session, the Executive Appropriations Committee and the Natural Resources Committee will have to decide how that money will be allocated. And I'm sure that there are lots of people with their hands out ready for cash and lots of good ideas. The next thing they talked about was prioritizing water rights. And this is prioritizing water rights in an emergency. This is a piece of draft legislation. It's not a bill that's numbered yet. Um, But if you go online, you can read some of the draft legislation. It came up a few years ago, I think. Well, I say a few years ago. I think it came up in 2010. Oh, okay. That's not a few years ago. That turns out a decade ago. But it has come up before. And this specifically is talking about prioritizing water rights for an electric utility during a water emergency, which means that if you need to use water to help keep the lights on, they're asking for prioritization in that instance. That sounds like an amazing idea at face value because I don't want my lights to go off ever. (laughs) It's the worst. Um, And I want to be able to plug in my phone, have heating and air conditioning and be able to use my microwave. But in a water emergency, we also need 
water for crops and we also need water for drinking and all sorts of things. And so when we're talking about prioritizing water rights, it can get really complicated when we're trying to basically rank all of our needs. And so they had a really interesting and robust discussion about this. They didn't take a position on the bill, but uh, I think they'll talk about it again during the session. Did this die a decade ago? Because it's hard to legislate who has highest priority. So I I wasn't here in 2010. Fair, it was literally, fair. it was right before my time. So I don't know exactly what the discussion was then. Um, but I'm guessing, yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard to decide what we need the most in a time of emergency. And I know that we have some really serious drought conditions right now. And they are operating like we are in an emergency in some instances. And some of the state officials have said, you know, this is really helpful to have a plan in place before this happens to us so that we're not trying to kind of decide when how we're going to rank these priorities as we're in the midst of an emergency. So it's a conversation worth having, but it is really complicated because we're talking about ranking basic needs. And, um, and no matter which way you slice it, I think people are going to be uncomfortable. Mm. But um, water in Utah has been and will always be a really important resource and something that we have to take very seriously because it may seem like we don't live in a desert climate, but we, we live in a fairly dry climate. Okay, so then we also talked about the Great Salt Lake Preservation, and the Speaker Wilson is really interested in this topic in particular because they've just recently gotten some data back about the Great Salt Lake, and they're very, very worried about it, um, mostly that it needs to be dredged. It needs to be dredged desperately. They are planning to deepen the southern arm of the Great Salt Lake, and they're hoping that that will actually help water retention because it will be deeper and cooler, and it will help the currents and not let the water be quite so stagnant. Um, I know very little about the Great Salt Lake, really only what I learned in this committee yesterday. I feel like I know a lot only because I feel like we can smell it constantly. (laughs) (laughs) Really, it's the drive to my mother-in-law's house past the Great Salt Lake. Can confirm, Speaker Wilson, that lake needs to be dredged. (laughs) Alyssa, you've heard it here first. Alyssa says it needs to be dredged. Dredge it. So he's holding, Speaker Wilson's going to hold a summit about the Great Salt Lake specifically. I'm really looking forward to going to that and learning a lot more about it and why we should spend some money on it. Um, But they are talking about the Great Salt Lake preservation in terms of what they can use some of this one-time money for. The last thing that they talked about are school water testing requirements. So they did a little bit of a pilot program where they went into some schools. They used some legislative money to test their water and to see how it was doing, to see if it was clean. We we never want to have a Flint, Michigan water situation on our hands, particularly not in our public schools. So they went and and tested some of those. And in some schools, they did find trace amounts of lead during their sample testing. The nice thing about this, not nice, the good thing about this is that this can be remediated in every school almost immediately, but it costs money to sample and remediate. So this this bill has come back a few times, mostly because it has such a large price tag, but because we have some money available for this, they voted this out favorably because they are hoping to use some of that one-time money to test the waters in our school. A couple of fun things happened in government ops. Uh, First and foremost, they are reworking how they do ballot initiative and referenda. So I know that two years ago, 2020, isn't that when we had the tax reform? Yeah, in 2016 though, that was our big year with all the medical marijuana oh, that's stuff. Right. And education. And education funding, yeah. like a million. Oh, the redistricting commission was on there. We so had so many. Think back to 2016, when your ballot was a novel of ballot initiatives. That's what we're talking about here. So they're, a, they're shortening the length 
of the information that can actually be on the ballot. So where you vote on your ballot, there will be a 25 word short title that just gives you a brief summary, lets you know what the issue is. If you need more information than that, there'll be a 125 word summary on a separate page that is an insert in your ballot. And you'll have 125 words on each ballot initiative that you're being asked to vote on. So the reason they did this is because, surprise, surprise, some nerds got together and realized that the longer the ballot language, the more fatigued voters became. And so you have this drop off on voter participation. And if you looked at voter returns in the last three cycles, it's not great. So we need to do everything we can to get people participating and eliminating voter fatigue where we can helps with that. We're going to try and get more people participating by being more succinct in the information we give them. There were a few people who were like, wait a second, I need all this information. Why are you trying to hide things? And one other thing that will be included along with the summary is a website that you can go to to find even more information. So this is not the only communication that a voter is going to get about the ballot initiative. It's just a summary of it and then an indication of where they can go to find more info if they need it. And it's all going to save uh, some money when executing elections. This is a, f- a funny thing that I don't think a lot of people know, but they use a very specific kind of paper when they print ballots. Yeah, it's kind of like money. Mm-hmm. Helps the security and it's expensive. And so using less of that paper and having a smaller ballot will help them save money because they're not using as much. Yeah, it offsets the cost of the insert plus some. Yeah, kind of cool. I'm excited to, I'm like hopeful for a ballot initiative or referendum now. That isn't six paragraphs long. Yeah, yeah. So just to see how it works in practice, I'm excited about that. The other piece of legislation that they considered in this committee failed, um, and it covered two issues. Some of you may have had the opportunity to participate in ranked choice voting this year, and there was just a little bit of confusion about how to handle voter skips um, on between rounds. So if a voter has eight candidates that they're ranking and they only rank their first and second choice and then their sixth and the seventh choice, the clerks needed to know if that's a ballot they needed to throw out or just count the first two and not count the six and the seven. It was really just a conversation around the technicality of counting those ranked choice votes. The other issue that they tacked onto this bill was approval voting. So a simplified version of ranked choice, you've got all the candidates that file and you either vote approve or disapprove of the candidates on your ballot. And then whoever has the most approval votes wins. It's um, a little bit like a dumbed down version of ranked choice, but both of those, well, the one piece of legislation and those two issues within that piece of legislation did not make it out of committee. Somebody may take this up during the general session, but there's no piece of like prepped legislation coming out of committee. I think there, I think there's another bill in the ether that hasn't been drafted yet that will fix that first problem of which 
which rounds do you count if they've skipped some of the rounds of ranked choice voting? Yeah. Um, but I don't know about the approval voting. This wouldn't this wouldn't have said like you have to do approval voting. It just wouldn't have given you another option. So you could have their traditional way of voting, the ranked choice voting, or approval voting. But for whatever reason, this wasn't enough to to get it passed. And so I mean I don't know. I just anytime that you tie two big things together, you you run the risk of not getting either. Yeah. I do think people are a little nervous to change the way we vote. It's it's this weird we've always done it this way if it's not broke don't fix it yeah one of the people talking in in opposition to the bill one of the public commenters said you know we've been voting traditionally for 200 years and it has worked great i don't know why we would change it and um i get it i get not wanting to to mess with something that you think is working well but also i would hate to still be riding horse places so amen to that. Um, if you participated it, participated in ranked choice in your city and you loved it or you hated it, I genuinely mean this. Please email me your thoughts. I'm really curious about how you felt it went because I personally like ranked choice. It wouldn't have been very exciting in my city. Everybody ran unopposed, but <laughs> still well, wish we would have done it. One. Yeah. Okay. So in natural resources, agriculture, and then the environment committee, I don't, I, they always add on so many words, but we just call it natural resources. Um, the Raygon gas study came back with recommendations. I, so I've been part of UAR for almost four years, but the Raygon gas task force predates me by a year or two. And, um, they, they put this together because they wanted to talk about radon testing and mitigation at point of sale. And we were like, absolutely not. Um, and so in the meantime, we've done a public awareness campaign. They've created this task force. Um, and they also did a study. The study recommendations came back and there were a number of them um, because there are lots of things that you can do when it comes to radon. And so they recommended increasing awareness, requiring that all radon test results be forwarded to the radon task force, creating a school teaching kit so that you could go to schools and teach more about radon testing there. They suggested a radon gas working group, radon resistant construction for new government buildings, funding a testing program for daycares and schools. There were so many things and some of them were really good ideas and some of them were less good ideas. And the legislators responded with, I think, some well-meaning skepticism. You know, we I think that many people are in agreement that if you're in a high-risk area, we should educate and mitigate. But the, they're nervous about imposing costs on people that don't necessarily need to mitigate their their radon issues. We just want to be careful that we're not mandating and cost burdening people with not a one-size-fits-all. Yeah, without a lot of evidence. Yeah, that it works. Um, so it was interesting. I'm, I'm I'll be curious to see which recommendations, if any, they take up during the session. Um, I think that the public awareness campaign has actually done a really good job mm-hmm. of of helping people understand radon testing. I know that on my neighborhood Facebook page like six months ago. Someone was like, hey, I just did this radon testing kit. Have you guys seen this? You guys should do it. So I know that it's working um, at least a little bit. That's awesome. Shout out to the UAR staff that worked on radon before we got here. Yeah, it wasn't me, but good job, you guys. <laughs> Makes our job a little easier. Frugal Dougal came and visited political subdivisions and talked about some findings in the relationship between transparency and county government. Super sexy. Really exciting. It's a great time. Anyway, county commissioners will occasionally have an issue where there are blurred lines between them and the county auditor and the staff that helps with spending of taxpayer dollars. Dougal came in and just said, hey, we need to make sure we have more appropriate checks and balances to combat fraud so that the auditor knows when money's being spent, how it's being spent, and the county commissioners 
commissioners can't, what's this word? Scoop. <laughs> it isn't, it's really interesting the tension sometimes between the county commissioners that are elected and some of the other elected officials. Because just because you were both elected to these positions does not necessarily mean that you agree with how programs are being run or how money is in charge or who's in charge. And so some, I mean, so the, the county commissioners have the power to say, I don't really like how this budget is being run. I'm going to create a budget officer position and that's going to report just to the commission because we don't trust what the auditor is doing. And I think what, what Dougal found was that when you have all these people doing kind of the same job, but not talking to each other about the jobs that they're doing, that these pots of money move around and we don't know exactly who's spending money where. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm not going to spend federal money the wrong way. They'll come after you. They'll come after you. They'll come after your children. They'll come after your parents. But it's it's strict. Basically, our, our esteemed auditor was like, you guys are liable for this if you're not spending the money the right way or if you are open to fraud and abuse, so tighten up. Thanks. Thank you. He also made it very clear that he was not telling them what to do. He was just letting them know what he found, which that was really funny. So we'll see if anything happens during the session. It's not like they discussed legislation to fix this it was just hey heads up this is disorganized yeah and if you guys know who they're talking about send us an email (laughs) if they're talking about your county email us because i'm curious i think i know who it is but the only other thing that happened in political subdivisions is some people came in from cash county and said old people were confused about rank choice which a news flash i <laughs> I, think, I think that happened all over the state did anyone's grandma call and ask you know what, i don't, I don't think he was being fair to older people i genuinely don't Because I think there are plenty of people who are wise and who know how to use ranked choice. And there are plenty of young people who don't know how to use ranked choice. I think it's a matter of being willing to learn. But it was really funny because he basically said, um, uh, only old people called us to ask what was up. He he was probably like, it was three people, but it was three too many. So I'm I'm here to set the record straight. (laughs) I feel bad. He's ageist. Last up, Revan Tax. One of my favorites. Um, so Senator Fillmore talked about property tax deferral amendments. This bill has been in the works for what feels like a lifetime, but has only been like two years. And the reason it didn't pass this last session is because the counties hated it so much. And if you'll remember, we talked about this in Ledge Committee a little bit, but they have made some changes to it after some negotiation and it is now in a new form. If you would like to hear like a really bad joke, like a dad joke, go listen to Senator Fillmore's testimony because he has kind of a scratchy voice and it's it's just awful, but it's- They're but, never gonna go listen to this. That's they have us for. That's fair. I'm I'm telling you to listen to it as I explain what exactly happened, so maybe that doesn't jive. Okay, so in this bill, this allows counties to defer property taxes for qualifying homeowners. This is specifically for people who do not have the cash to pay their property taxes, but do have the money to stay in their home. And they can defer it so that after that person is no longer living in the home, at the sale of the home, or even just the transition from parent to heir or whomever receives the home, they pay those back taxes to the county. The reason that the counties were opposed to this in the beginning was that, you know, there are some people who make a low income who could have taken advantage of this, but they have a lot of liquid assets. So they could be making not a ton of money, but they could have some, you know, cash reserves 
hanging out. And so they, they would kind of be taking advantage of this loophole and not paying their property taxes until later. There were also some thoughts that if you deferred it or if you forgave these, these property tax payments that you would just be helping them pass on tax-free property to their heirs. And so they, they cleaned up some of that language. So as it stands, counties are allowed to defer property taxes for qualifying homeowners. To qualify, they have to implement a liquid assets test. So if their income is low, but they had cash, they should still pay their property taxes. It also establishes a $10 million state fund to help counties with unforeseen costs as they choose to defer. So any gap in income for the counties can be covered by the state and that money will be paid back when that property changes hands. And I think that the general consensus was this is fair. It doesn't subsidize areas, but it does provide relief for the people that who need it. And it passed out of the committee and it was a committee bill. And if you're not familiar, a committee bill means basically we did all the work on this during the interim. We've all given our stamp of approval. So get on with it. And that means that this bill will go pretty fast during the first week of the legislative, first or second week of the legislative session. It's a little bit of a fast pass, Disneyland style but to implementation. Legislative fast pass. Legislative fast pass. Love it. Okay, so that just kind of wraps it up for us for the November interim. It was a little more busy than our October. We're getting ready for the session. I think that you saw them trying to wrap up some of the issues that they've had ongoing. And again, we're just looking forward to getting Ledge Committee started back up and mark your calendars. Session is starting, so. We'll see you in January. We'll see you in January in that. On that note, I will entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. Bye. Bye.